Welcome to the River Life Podcast. As you listen, we pray that you will encounter Jesus and allow His words to wash you anew. May He reveal more of who He is to your heart. Here's the message for this week. And this morning, it's my pleasure to invite Pastor Lionel to conclude our session on our God Is series. Pastor Lionel. Good morning, church. Good to see so many of you back. Do you really enjoy today's worship? How many of you do? Wow, we've been blessed, very blessed. The river is flowing, and I, I believe that God is going to do more and more. And I also would encourage all of you who are actually worshiping online to come back and worship with us. The atmosphere is not the same when you watch it over your laptop or over your TV, okay? So do come back. Well, over the last four weeks, we've been preaching on this series, God Is, right? God is love, God is spirit, God is life, God is light. And today, I want to conclude by talking about God is one. You know, the most famous uh, scripture text concerning God is one is actually found in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to verse 5. And it's called the Shema Confession. Can we stand up just to read this uh, text and honour the Lord? Okay. Let's read this text together. One, two, three. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Father, we ask that today, even as we talk about you are one, help us to understand what it means. And that, Lord, help us to love you with our whole heart, our mind, and our soul, and our strength. In the name of Jesus, we ask. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, this Shema, Confession that's found in Deuteronomy 4, uh, 6, verse 4 to verse 6, is something that the Jews take great pride on. And over the centuries, the last maybe 3,000 years, every devout Jew, they would actually make this declaration early in the morning, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then in the night, before they sleep, they will recite this confession again. It is a way of helping them to focus on God and declaring that Yahweh, the Lord, is one. Today we want to understand what exactly does Moses mean when he writes this text in Deuteronomy 6.4 that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Is it is a numerical oneness or is it something that is much more than that? So we are going to drill down to this verse, Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Now in Hebrew, this verse had only six words. And it is 
Shema Israel, Yahweh Elohim, Yahweh Echad. And if we were to look at these six words in English, it basically means this. Okay? What is the meaning of Deuteronomy 6.4? Shema means hear. Pay attention. Let's look at the slide. And it is addressed to Israel, not to foreign nations, not to Israel's enemy, but to Israel alone. And God declared his name as Yahweh. If you were to look at the, you know, the overhead slide, the original text is YHWH, Yahweh. And because it's hard for English people to pronounce it, we add an A and we add an E in to make it Yahweh. Then there's this word Elohim. Elohim is actually a generic word for God's in plural noun. Okay? The singular noun for Elohim is Eloah, E-L-O-A-H. But it's very strange that every time you see God being named as Elohim in Scripture, it's always in plural noun, Elohim. Bible scholars have been scratching their head and people try to explain it away. And this is where I believe that God, even in the Old Testament, gave hints that He is actually a triune God in Trinity. Let me give you an example. I, I think can we look at this uh, verse here? In Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. You know, we read this text here. When God was about to make man in his creation, he said this, you know, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then in verse 27, so God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Scholars have been trying to scratch your head and say, you know, it seems like God uses plural and then after that singular again. Uh, some people will say, oh, actually it means that, you know, maybe God is talking with the angel. Let us make man in our image. If we have that understanding, it is wrong. Because you never see any verse in the Bible that angels were co-creator of humankind. And we are not made in the image of angels, but in the image of God. So, there are other verses in the Old Testament that basically give this hint that God is singular as God, and yet He exists in three persons. For example, another text, I just quickly look at Isaiah 6, 8, you know. When Isaiah saw God in the temple, exalted, and then he heard God saying, Who shall I send? And then the next text, next verse, God said, Who will go for us? 
So these are the hints that we see in the Old Testament about how God is actually more than one person. He is one God, but existing in three persons. We, you know, who actually receive the New Testament understand that. So I, I want to drill down and look at this verse, verse 4, and look at two salient points in the Shema. Shema means here, you know. And these two salient points are who is Yahweh and what does one mean in this confession? Okay? Now, let's look at who is Yahweh. You know, when God first revealed himself in the name of Yahweh, it is found in Exodus chapter 3. The context was that Moses actually lived in the palace, the Egyptian palace for 40 years. Then he killed an Egyptian soldier. He ran away because Pharaoh was chasing after him. He went into the Midianite uh, desert wilderness. And then that was where he became a shepherd for his father-in-law Jethro, who is actually a Midianite uh, high priest for another 40 years. And one day, in Exodus chapter 3, we read that when Moses, actually he was tending to the sheep, suddenly he saw a bush on fire. When he looked closer, the, the bush was burning, but the bush wasn't consumed. And he came forward and God said, this is sacred ground, take off your shoe. And he bowed before God. And God began to say, I have heard about all the suffering of my people, the Jews, in Egypt. I've seen, you know, the great, great, you know, wickedness of the Egyptian masters. And I've come to rescue them. Moses, I want you to go and set the people free from the yoke of, Israel, uh, of Egypt. And in verse 13, we read this. Okay? Moses asked God, If I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you have to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say, to this, say this to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of our fathers, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. What is that name? I am. This is how I'm to remember it in every generation. So God revealed himself with this sacred name, Yahweh. And that name has been so sacred for the Jews that for a long time, they didn't want to pronounce it, so they used the word Adonai instead in their translation. But God revealed himself as I am, Yahweh, the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What does it mean 
for God to be the I am. There are big significance in that name, I am. It basically means God is pre-existent. He had no beginning. He had no end. Okay? Before the world was created, He existed. And He's self-sustaining. Now, I want you to look at this burning bush. That's where God manifested Himself as a fire. Today, in our physical realm, if I want to start a fire and sustain it, what do I need to do? I need to put firewood, right? I need to put charcoal or oil to sustain that fire. But once a fuel is actually used up, what happened? The fire dies. But when God manifested himself in the bush, in a divine fire, the fire kept burning, but the bush was not consumed. It basically is a very important imagery, an important lesson for Moses to learn. That this I am lives apart from natural sustenance. He doesn't need any physical sustenance, energy to keep him going. That's why the bush was never consumed. And that is a powerful image that we have to see. And God, the I am, is also unchanging, immutable. We have talked about God being, you know, love, light, life, spirit. God being kind, good. All these characteristics, attributes of God has existed with God from the very beginning. And a million years later, this attribute still remain in the same absolute quality and quantity. That is the immutable nature of God. And there's another important part about this significance of God being the I am. He's ever present with his people. God said to Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I've seen how they have suffered. I am going to rescue them. I'm always with them. And here, this is a comfort I want to give to many of you here. Some of you are going through tough times. Some of you are going through illnesses. Some of you are going through financial difficulties. You don't have to suffer alone. The I am is with you. He knows your situation. All you need to do is to cry out to him and say, God, I need your help. And God will say like to the Moses, I've seen the suffering of my people. I've heard their cry. I will deliver them. So I want to actually help you to see something here just for, you know, an intellectual exercise. Let's look at this slide here. When God declared himself as I am, he's actually calling himself Yahweh, okay? Can we have the next slide? And Yahweh was a very hard word for the Latin people to pronounce before. So they anglicize it, they Latinize it to be Jehovah. 
And in today's translation, you see, whenever you see this word, capital L-O-R-D, it actually means the I am, Yahweh. If you see a big capital L and then O-R-D in small casing, it's actually Adonai, which is another name for God. So this Yahweh has made himself known to Israel. And they are supposed to be devout, devoted to him and him alone. You know, there are other gods in Canaan, Baal, Dagon, Modoc, you know, not, not uh, Paul Modoc or Robert Modoc, you know, but Modoc, um, and also, you know, other gods. But Yahweh is the only God for the nation of Israel. Likewise today, friend, God has revealed himself to us today in Jesus Christ, okay? We have the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We read in John 1, verse 1 and verse 2, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And in verse 18, he says, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in the closest relationship with the Father, that Son has made God known. So today, God revealed himself to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And there is an important implication here. God revealed himself as Yahweh to Israel. God revealed himself to us believers today as Jesus Christ. Now, in today's pluralistic society, it is very expedient, politically convenient for all of us to say that, well, every faith is the same. All faith ultimately will lead to the same mountaintop, okay, God. And uh, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you're sincere in your belief, as long as you're happy with your belief. That is the pluralistic understanding today. But Jesus, in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It is offensive when we quote a verse like that to people. But that is the revelation that God has given us. There's no other salvation under the earth other than the name of Jesus. And we must never, never be ashamed of the gospel, never, never be ashamed of Jesus Christ, because that name is a power of salvation for all who would believe. Yes, can we say amen to that? Only three percent say that. The rest of you are not quite convinced. So this is the implication. As believers, we do not worship a nameless, mysterious God. But we worship the Lord Yahweh, who has revealed himself today in Jesus Christ. Now, I want to look at the next text here, which means Eckhart. You know, what does that one mean in Scripture? The Jews, whenever they recite this Shema confession, 
They said to the Christians, you folks are idolatrous because God has declared himself as one. Not the Father, not the Son, nor the Holy Spirit. But does that Shema actually convey that uh, significance? Let's look at it. You know, in Jewish, in Hebrew, there are different words used for one. One of the most common words you find in the Old Testament is this word, Ichat. Okay? Ichat means one, solitary oneness. So I have a one handphone, okay, Ichat. But when you go into the Old Testament, the word that talks about the oneness of God has always been this word, Echad. It means that it's one single entity, but it's made up of more than one part. So let me give you an example. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we read this very famous uh, verse that often used in wedding, right? You know, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. And they become one, echad, echad, flesh, one flesh. But you notice the word flesh there? Though it's one, it comprises two parts, the man and the woman. So this word one, one, echad, is used for, for example, in Ezra, one assembly comprising many people. One people comprising many persons. One heart, all the people, you know, in one accord together. So that word at heart signifies something here that is more than just one singularity. But it's one, but having more than one parts. Okay? So this is where I want you to look at the various translations that talk about Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. Can we have the slide? ESV, NIV, Homan translate this as Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The emphasis is God is one. Then in NLT, we read this, that listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord alone. Is the Lord alone. Because Eckhart can also mean alone. And then you, in this new century version, we read here, people of Israel, the Lord our God is the only Lord. All these translations are faithful to the original Hebrew. What then you begin to realize is this, that this Shema talking about the Lord is one, is not emphasizing on the numerical oneness of God, but it's talking about God being the one and only Lord that he is Yahweh alone. You get my point? And it's a big, big uh, 
what they call revelation for us. If you were to look at the whole of Deuteronomy, from chapter 1 to chapter 9, you know, Moses was talking to a new bunch, a new generation of believers. The old, unfaithful, disobedient group that came out from Egypt disobeyed God by refusing to go into the promised land. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness and they all passed away. In Starting from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, there's a new generation coming up. And Moses actually kind of gave them the second law, Deuteronomy, the second law. And he was briefing the people, telling them all that God has done for them. And if you were to read closely these nine chapters, Moses' passion was that telling the people, guys, God is going to give you this beautiful promised land. Okay? You are going to go in and you're going to enjoy all the crops, all the well that people have dug, the city that people have built. But when you start enjoying good life, don't get distracted and lose the sight of God. And also, don't get involved in idolatry, especially in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we read a text like this in Deuteronomy 4, verse 39, that basically sum up all that Moses wants to say to the people. Moses said, Today recognize and keep in mind that the Lord is God, the Lord Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth below. There is no one, no other. There's no one else. So in the context of this text, when you talk about Shema, you're talking about the fact that, you know, Yahweh is unique. Yahweh is the one and only God of Israel. Yahweh is the only one worthy of the worship of the nation. The only one that is totally deserving their devotion. And Yahweh is unique. There's no other. And that is the meaning of the Lord, our God is one. There is no other. There's only one and only one God. Now, why is this God so unique? Why is Yahweh so unique to Israel? I want to just quickly run through something with you here to help you to see something beautiful. You know, whenever God spoke to the nation of Israel, through either Moses or through the prophets, he would always tell them, guys, remember, once you were like an abandoned kid suffering in your infancy, and I took you in to be my very own, and I raised you up. I am special to you. I am your husband. You are my people. That has always been the imagery that God has been talking to the nation of Israel. And Israel is special. We read a sample of this text in Deuteronomy 7, verse 7 and verse 9. 
we read this, we see, we see this. The Lord was devoted to you. The Lord chose you, not because you're more numerous than all the other people. You are actually the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loves you, He kept His oath to your Father. He brought you out with a strong and mighty hand. And in verse 9, know that Yahweh, your God, is God. The faithful God who keeps His gracious covenant you know, for a thousand generations of all who love Him and keep His command. God has been telling the people, guys, I love you. I've done all these things for you. I can briefly summarize it this way. God loves Israel unconditionally. Of all the nations, Israel was specially chosen to be his people. Not because of his merit, not because of their merit, not because of their strength, not because of their numbers. But God loved them, you know, and he has chosen them to be his people. He has made covenant with Israel. They has never made to other nations. And he has delivered Israel from slavery in Egypt. He has promised, you know, and gave Israel the promised land. And he promised to prosper and bless God's people for a thousand generations if they were to love and obey him. This is the kind of love that Yahweh has shown to Israel. And likewise today, you know, Jesus Christ is special and unique to us believers. I was just having my devotion sometime back, and I came across this text that really spoke to my heart in Romans 5, verse 6 and verse 8. It says, that while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment, Christ died for the ungodly. I was helpless. I was the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person. Though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When I read that text, I began to realize how precious the love of God is. I remember many, many years ago, for some of you, you were not born yet in September 1974. Some of you smile. Yes, it's a long time back. I was actually on a government scholarship, studying in New Zealand. Because of the nature of my course, I have to work part-time and study. I mean, I have to work full-time and study part-time. So I get a certain wage, which some 50 years back was equivalent to almost $900 sing. I was able to afford a car, you know, uh, share a flat with two other friends. But in spite of having all these good things, meanwhile, you know, my 
friends, my contemporaries were charging up and down Pengkang Hill in safety. They were doing NS. And I was enjoying life. And yet I was miserable. Because I just felt that I need something more than all this freedom, all this material gain. I want to find peace and a sense of fulfillment in my heart. I practiced yoga for six months, um, 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 every morning. I couldn't find fulfillment. And then one day, one Kiwi girl told me, all you need is to believe in Jesus Christ. I look at her, I smile, I say, so easy, man. And then, one night, I was really struggling. I said, God, I don't really know whether you exist. But if you say that Jesus is your son, I want to believe him. And that's all. I didn't confess my sin, nothing of that sort. And the next morning, when I woke up, I was brushing my teeth. I looked at the mirror. I was happy. I looked at myself and said, eh, I didn't look too bad, you know. And from then on, something changed in my life. I've been a believer all these years since then. Almost 50 years. I've been almost 47 years, years now. I've gone through good and bad. I've lost a son. My wife went through cancer two times. But in spite of all this setback, when I look back, I can say that God is good. Because he's done so much for me. And this is how God is unique for all of us today. Can we have this slide? Folks, all of you have the same story to tell. You know, God loves us while we're sinners. He sacrificed His Son Jesus for us while we're His enemies. And He forgives all our sins, cleanses us from all un unrighteousness. He adopts us into His family to be His very own. And a day will come when we are going to enjoy eternal life with Him forever and ever. And He'll be our God and we will be His people. I mean, all these things, not because you are smart, not because we are good or we are in some way, you know, deserve it, but God in His mercy loves us well, we're still sinners. And I want all of us to understand that and always remember your salvation story. So, God has been good to the nation of Israel. God has also been good to us. The question is, how then should God's people respond to Him? This is where we begin to see in Deuteronomy chapter 5 and chapter 6, just two things that God requires of His people. The first one is to be totally devoted to God alone. In Deuteronomy 5, verse 6 to verse 8, this is part of the Ten Commandments. God said, I'm the Lord, Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Therefore, because of what I've done for you, you must not have any other gods beside me. And you must not make an idol for yourself, 
in the shape of anything in the heavens, on, on the earth below, or in the water under the earth. Israel was living among people of idols and false gods. And God said, you have none of this. I, Yahweh, is one and only one for you. You must put away gods of Baal, Madok, Dagon, Morag, Asherah. In today's context, we may not worship all these pagan gods and idols, but we can have emotional and financial idols. Money, success, fame, power, career. Some of these things were blessings that God has given us. And yet, there's always this danger that we will make these good things to become idols in our life. Some of us have good career. And now, career has become an idol. Some of us have been blessed with good spouses. And our spouse has become our idol. Our children, beautiful kids, now they've become our idols. And God said, worship him and him alone. So we don't worship God as a top dog in this whole pyramid of uh, devotion. And then we have other things like career, money, success under. But God must be the one and only one that we worship. That's what it means for God to be one. The second thing that God called his people to do after verse 4 is verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Essentially, God is saying to the people, because I'm one, I'm special, I'm unique, I'm the only true and real God, Therefore, you must serve me with all your being. The heart in the Jewish context represents the seed, you know, the, the place of our mind, our will, our affection. So we must use our mind, our will, and our affection to love God. The soul represents Zoe in Greek, life, time that we have on earth, our being. We must serve God with all the time that we have. And strength. The word strength comes from the word, it's not even an English word, muchness. That means all that we're much. We must serve God with that. And it means our possession, our abilities, and our gifting. We have to love God with all these things. But you know what's the problem? Someone asks this question. How can God ever command us to love Him? How do you feel, you know, Iyang, uh, if Charmaine said, I command you to love me? Or my wife tell me, you know, you must love me. It's hard, right? 
we can only love folks, someone wholeheartedly, when we begin to experience that love from the other person. Otherwise, it's hard. So this is where I want to look at two ways that we can actually love God wholeheartedly. I want to look at this text first in 1 John 4, verse 9 to 10, verse 19. It says this, This is how God has shown His love to us. He sent His one and only Son into the world so that we can have life through Him. You notice that? Scriptures keep telling us that the way that God has shown His love to us is when He sent Jesus into our heart. When Jesus sent when God sent Jesus into our lives to save us. And this is what real love is. It is not that we are love for God, but it is God's love for us that He sent His Son. And in verse 19, which is what Chen Sing has shared with us before, we love because God first loved us. We are able to respond in love for God when we understand that God has served us deeply. And that understanding is not an academic exercise, but an experience. And there are two ways that we can actually, you know, love God more. The first one is, remember what God has done for you. Psalm 103, the psalmist said, let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things He does for me. And then the psalmist listed the things that God has done for him. He forgave my sin. He heals my diseases. He redeemed me from, the, from death. He crowned me with love and tender mercy. He filled my life with good things. And my youth is renewed and eager. Friends, Never, never, never take God's love for granted. Never take your salvation for granted. It's always good to revisit what Jesus has done for us. That's why we have communion as often as we can. To remember the death of Christ, that deep love that God has for us. I have shared with you my salvation story. Every one of you have a story. And it's good every now and then whenever you feel that you are parched, that somehow God is far away from you, remember what you were before and how God has changed you and made you so different today. When you do that, you are able to love God. The other thing is that we need to experience God's love personally. In Romans 5.5, 5, Paul said this, that, you know, that the hope that we have will not lead us to disappointment. But we know how dearly God loves us because He's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with His love. The Holy Spirit can fill our heart and make us know that He loves us. And this is where I want to share something with all of you. You know, for many years in my life, I've been a deacon, I've been an elder, 
in Badri Church. I was faithful. I was serving the Lord. But I never had a powerful encounter with God. Then I went to John Wimber's uh, seminar in, I think, 1989. Over there, I saw things I've never seen before. I went with another elder. And when we came back, this elder sought the Lord, said, God, I want to have the same experience as in what I saw in the conference. And one night, he got very sad by the Holy Spirit. He began to speak in tongue and was shaking. And he shared that experience with me. And I told God, God, not fair. You give that experience to him, you know, I don't have it. So every Saturday morning at that time, when my kids were young, I'll take the morning off to go to a park to pray and read scriptures the whole morning. And that Saturday, I went to ECP, I sat on a bench, when I read John 13 to John 17, five chapters, it was like God was writing those chapters only for me. I began to realize how much God loved me. I didn't have experiences, I didn't speak in tongues, I didn't shake, I didn't jump around. But that was a powerful experience. And that experience changed me. I no longer became competitive. I no longer had this uh, insecure, you know, heart inside me. That's why if you notice that I am not beholden to anyone, nor fear anybody, because I know God loves me. And I feel that this is something that we all can experience. Some of you have experienced it, but it has faith. And you are now in a dry patch. I have a solution for all of us. But let me just uh, summarize what I've covered today. We say that our God is one. He is the one and only Yahweh for us. He's unique because He's done so much for us. So He desire that we be devoted to Him. He desire that we love Him wholeheartedly. And we can only do so when we experience His love personally. And this is where I want to end up with this text here. Or, or rather, this, this exaltation to you. How many of you here Desire to love God wholeheartedly. Can you put up your hand? A good group of you. No, just put it up. Yeah, it's okay. This is your testimony to God. Now, so that is the right hand, right? Now, how many of you find it hard to love God? Put up your left hand. So, some of you desire to love God, and then some of you find it hard to love God, right? There is something I believe that God wants to do in this season of grace. God wants to touch you. 
deep inside. And God wants you to have a fresh revelation of His love. For those of you who desire to love God, but you find it hard, or those of you who just desire to love God, would you mind standing up? Because I want to pray for you. I want you to just lift up your hands right now. And yield yourself to the Lord. And I want you to say to God, God, I want to love you because you have commanded me to love you with my heart, my soul, my strength. But I find it hard, God. Help me. Would you do this right now? I believe that God will reveal himself to you in a powerful way in the days ahead. And I want to bless you right now. Father, you have seen all my brothers and sisters standing up. And all of them desire to love you just as you have commanded us. And we want to love you, Lord. But Father, we want to confess that our love is short, temporal, and we find it difficult to love you. But we know that it's only like what Paul said when we understand this love that has been shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Spirit that we're able to love you in a deep, deep way. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that your Spirit right now will fall on your people and fill their hearts with your love so that your love is being shed abroad in their hearts that they would know you in a deep way. Lord, give them experiences they've never experienced before. Even for those who have experienced you before, give them fresh encounters so that everyone, Lord, is able to experience your goodness and begin to see there's something powerful they've never enjoyed before. That is the Holy Spirit, Lord, moving their hearts to love you. Father, I pray that in the days ahead, every one of them would encounter you in a fresh way. In the name of Jesus, Lord, I bless them. And God's people say, Amen. I want you all to sit down. I want to share something uh, from my heart to you. No, this period of time, I believe, in the church is a time where the grace of God is here. I appreciate that you all sit down and don't walk over. This is a second moment. God is going to touch our lives and our hearts and give us freshness. And what David Lim Han Hui shared with us on last Friday is this. There is a text in Luke 11, verse 9 to verse 13. I want to put up this text for all of us. This is the promise that Jesus said to his disciples, not to the multitude, but to his disciples. 
So I tell you, ask and God will give to you. Search and you'll find. Knock and the door will open for you. Yes, everyone who asks will receive. The one who searches will find. And everyone who knocks will have the door open. And Jesus gave this analogy. If your children ask for fish, would you give him a snake? If your children ask for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? And God said, no, even though you are bad, you are evil, you know how to give good things to your children. How much more would your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is a challenge I want for all of us, including myself. This coming Friday, we are going to have this talk about baptism in the Spirit at 8 o'clock. And if you were to look at this text, it says that we must keep searching, we must keep knocking, we must keep you know, asking. And when we do that, God promises on His Word that He will do what we ask of Him. I want to challenge all of you that, you know, for you, for all of you, if you have been visit, uh, coming for this uh, talk, you know, maybe from starting from today or tomorrow, fast one meal a day, or fast TV, fast multimedia, and spend the time seeking God and say, God, I want to have a fresh encounter with you this coming Friday. Because we are going to pray for people to receive the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And when you yearn over the next four days for God, on Friday when you come and when we minister to you, I believe that God is going to speak to you in a deep way and give you experiences that you have never encountered before. Some of you may not make it on Friday. It's okay. You can do that between you and God. You know, when after John Wimber, when I saw my friend receiving this powerful encounter, I sought the Lord and said, God, you cannot leave me aside. You give it to my friend, you have to give it to me. And God gave me an encounter, but in a different way from him. And I want to say that ever since then, I have other encounters with God. But that encounter changed my life. And God wants all of us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. God wants all of us once again to be activated to serve Him. So would you take this challenge and say, okay God, from today until Friday, I am going to seek, I'm going to search, I'm going to ask. And then meditate on this passage and come on Friday with expectant heart. And God will not fail on His word. He will meet your needs. Would you believe in that? How many of you believe in that? Put up your hand right now because you're making this admission to God, not to me, but to God. I am going to do that. Well, I finished uh, my sermon uh, due to the, like, uh, the overshot of time. I asked Pastor Dinah to come forward to give us a benediction and then after that, we can depart. Thank you.
you, Pastor Lionel, for, for the word. And we are reminded that the Holy Spirit can, and can work through flesh to enable the flesh to do what the flesh alone cannot. And so I pray that this, will, this is something that you will earnestly seek after. Can I invite all of us to arise? Would you please uh, raise your hands to receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance on you and give you peace. In the mighty name of Jesus, we bless you. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we'll see you next Sunday, Friday before that, yeah? Thank you. Thank you for listening to the River Life podcast. We hope that you've encountered Jesus through the Word. If you'd like to connect with community or find out more about River Life Church, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or head on over to riverlife.org.sg. God bless and have a great week ahead.